You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. Yeah, Mary, there is a, um, a really strange, well, the United States does a lot of strange things, but this quirk uh, left over from an earlier age really gives us trouble. And it is that periodically we have to lift the debt ceiling and Congress has to vote on it. And what that means is uh, lift the amount of borrowing the governments uh, use or able to do. At least to the best of my understanding, it was simply a device put in there by conservative Congress and Senate sometime in the past that said, we're going to keep control of these birds from just raising the debt. So whenever they come to a certain debt level, they will have to vote on it again. And that doesn't seem all that harmful. But boy, in practice, it has proved to be a real problem because all sorts of elected officials uh, have used it to further their own policy aims. And I'm thinking here in particular of Ted Cruz reading uh, Dr. Seuss, kind of ironic, uh, to filibuster the Senate so that they could not vote to raise the debt. But if the debt limit is not raised, then uh, government has to shut down. I mean, they could default on bills. Am I explaining it all roughly right? Yeah, I mean, as close as I understand it. And I even see the logic of why they put it in, because for people that are the politicians, people, I guess they're the same thing, um, concerned about the United States having so much debt, really unsustainable debt, it, it causes, it forces the politicians to go back and take a vote to say, yes, I agree that we increase the debt as opposed to engaging in some kind of fiscal responsibility. So there's a logic to it. Um, But as all things in a political space, it's then becomes a political tool and a political weapon. And here we are again, (laughs) you know, at these moments that continue to come up where you know, one, the party in power and the minority party are battling over other things and the debt ceiling vote becomes a weapon in those fights. And I think that's what's happening now. Is that right? Yeah, it is. And I mean, put a little context here. The Republicans have said, Mitch McConnell has said, no Republicans are going to vote uh, for the increase in the, in the debt ceiling. The Democrats have to do this totally by themselves. Now, what does all that mean? Well, Republicans want to get a lot of religion and say, we are going to stand up for our children, our grandchildren and protect the debt. And that, that sounds great until you realize that during the Trump administration, the Republicans voted three times to raise the debt ceiling. We do this all the time. So it is nothing more than either, okay, Democrats, you wear this, you carry this water uh, because 
you're the ones in power, so you've got to take care of it. And I guess that's okay. Or it becomes leverage for something else. We will vote to increase the debt ceiling uh, if you give us this. And, and frankly, it probably is not a great concern. It does not take a supermajority. Just a majority can pass it, except the Democrats, you know, have these wild cards that they can't be certain that they can get uh, a majority. So it's totally possible, I don't know this, but totally possible that Joe Manchin says, before I vote to keep the government open, which is really what that is, uh, I got a little list here of some things I'd like. And that starts sounding crummy too. Yeah, but I mean, another way to think about John is that, you know, what is politics but the art of negotiation? And so all politicians, like in life, right, we use what tools we have. And if that's, um, and who knows what's going on behind the scenes, even the reporters, I heard a reporter say yesterday, we don't even really know what's being horse traded. So um, if that's what Manchin is using for a little leverage because he wants certain things to be able to vote in reconciliation for the larger infrastructure bill, maybe that's an easy thing for him to give on to get something else. Do you know what I mean? So I, I can look at it like in a very cynical way, or I can look at it and say, this is just the way these folks roll and they know this. I mean, it's like McConnell. He's such a hypocrite, as we know. I heard him talking about this debt ceiling and he was actually saying, we're not going to do their bidding. Well, it's not their bidding, right? It's not the Democrats bidding. It's the bidding of the, the people of the United States. But he's using the leverage he feels he has to make sure that the minority party doesn't get rolled over. So it's just kind of like a, a what do they call it, you know, a 30,000 foot view of it, that for anything to get done, there's going to be a lot of negotiation. The thing that concerns me about the whole thing that's happening is that the Democrats really were elected to get things done. And it does seem that there's the possibility that nothing happens, even the infrastructure bill. Do I think that thing's going to fall apart in the end? I don't. But the fact that they're even talking about, you know, I, I think Manchin said something like, I want to put this off until 2022, tells me that the whole project that the Democrats have been working on could fall apart. And that, I think, would be very detrimental to the Democrats' argument that we're the grown-ups and we can govern. Because well, it, at the end of the day, it may be nobody can govern. Yeah, I mean, it is detrimental to that. And it goes back to, you know, there's a question that people keep asking Joe Manchin. Okay, you don't like $3.3 trillion. What do you want to cut? He Frankly, he doesn't answer that. He said, well, let's just wait and, and take a look at that. But I think this goes to this question. We need a Voting Rights Act. 
the democracy is in peril. What's happening at the states is real and it's dangerous. We need protection of women's uh, reproductive rights. That's real. It actually went into place and the federal government needs to act on it. We need infrastructure. We need uh, support like the pre-K uh, child support in the reconciliation bill. We need to extend education to community college, go on and on and on through that list. Those are real things for real people. And why I have trouble taking at all a benign view of it is I say, you mean a senator who has spent his whole career in the pocket of the polluting coal industry can decide whether or not the American people get those things. That's, that's my problem. Yeah, although I, I wouldn't be so sure that he's the only one. That's, I think that's a reality. He's comfortable being out front, he and Kristen Sinema to some extent, but you wonder how many other ones are like uh, supporting him in um, his position. Because at the end of the day, they all are protecting their jobs. That's what they're doing. That's what motivates them. And that's their, you know, I guess we all do that. So there may be other senators, Democratic senators from um, maybe purple-leaning states who think, do I want to be out front with $3.5 trillion? I'm not sure that I do. But I can't say that because of my blue constituents. You know, there's no blue constituency for Manchin in West Virginia, so he doesn't really care. That's what's, to me, so interesting about the moment, because Manchin is served by a ma maintaining the majority, the Democrats maintaining the majority in the Senate, and he is served by Biden being the president, and he is served by the Democrats maintaining his major majority, their majority in the House of Representatives as well. So how, how, what does he do to make sure that he doesn't lose his voters and at the same time help his party stay in power, which does help him? Because once he's in the minority, he ain't nobody again. He's got, you know, nobody cares what Joe Manchin thinks. So it's, it's a delicate balance. And if you're Biden, you're like, I got to bring Manchin along without, you know, just making him so mad. Do you see what I mean? I, I, this is like the political scientist in me that just thinks this is so fascinating. And it's what makes me think at the end of the day, we will get some version of that second infrastructure bill. It may not be $3.5 trillion. It may not be what Bernie Sanders wants, but it will be some version of it. Because Manchin understands what we all know, John, which is when you start to build these programs, whether it's pre-K, whether, I mean, one of the things they're talking about doing, which I think is huge, which is helping provide assistance to allow people to age at home. So you, you, who doesn't want that, which is the nursing home industry, right? 
But most Americans want some version of that. And once you do that and you change those programs, you will never take them away. So Manchin knows this. He knows that serves his state. So I think he wants to do that. It's just he's got to be able to go back to his people and say, I fought, fought the good fight. I fought as hard as I could. See what I mean? So don't you think it's interesting or you're just like pissed off about it? I'm pissed off about it. (laughs) You know what? I like the political scientist and you loves all of that. I don't know. I guess the philosopher or something in me says, why can't we get all these people, uh, congressmen, other political leaders, and we'll take airtime once a week and they stand up out loud not dodging questions like they do when they they go on Jake Tapper, uh, but instead actually talk about these issues, engage the American people in these issues, and we decide, all of us and our leadership, do we want to be the kind of country that provides for very young people and for aging people? I, it's a complex question. But it's actually finally not a difficult decision to make. Okay, that will be expensive. That'll be a problem. But yes, we want want to do that. But, you know, just as you say before, so many of these Congress people, they just stay hidden. We, we never hear from them. And, you know, the way you and I love watching news shows, we see them come on, they get asked that question, and they say, well... I have always been fully committed to something and not something else and whatever, and this is a lot of bullshit. And I'm being a little cynical this morning, aren't I? Well, you really are. You really are. I got up on the wrong side of my Wheaties. (laughs) I just don't think it's it's not our system, and we can argue, and, and we have that the system is broken and doesn't work anymore. But I'm not so sure that this whole thing they're doing is an exam- isn't an example of how the system can work. Because there are excesses in any program, and this is what's problem with the Republicans being such a mess, right? Because you need two parties to make our system work. Right now, the second party is Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, Sin- And they're the ones who, are, in a sense, are putting the brakes on what could be the excesses of the Democrats coming into power, you have to figure out how do you pay for that. So the the you know the other part of this thing we're talking about is what are the pay fors? What are the tax in, um, implications, which we did talk about last week? And so this, and to use the phrase again, this horse trading, this discussion, how is it going to work? What are we going to do? what are we committing to for the next 10 years? It is healthy for the system to do that, John. The hope is that something happens in the end and, you know, that's fingers crossed. Um, I guess I'm hopeful and I think that it will, but it's going to be a lot of heartache for uh, Biden along the way and Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, you're right. You're right about all that. But I tell you, if we had elected Bernie Sanders, the way I had wanted to, we could have solved this. So we get the money from the billionaires and the millionaires. That's it. It's done. No more talking. I'm done. Okay. That's funny. Talk to you. Uh-huh. Bye.
Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.